Welcome to The Journey with Senior Pastor Marty Grebs of Crossings Community Church, a podcast where he explores God's extraordinary work in everyday people. Jenny, it is a blast to get to sit here with you, and um, this has been on my mind since you and I had a conversation probably a year or more ago, standing, I think, in the gym at a Group 56 event. I guess you all invite me occasionally to come over there and and, uh, and enjoy that incredible ministry. Uh, but you've been on, how long have you been on staff now? Three years. So you've been on staff for three years at Crossings, and uh, you've, you've got quite a journey you've been on that makes it a miracle you even are in a church, yeah. let alone working for one. So from the time I heard your story, um, I thought there are so many people, uh, if you're willing to share it, there's so many people that will, will benefit from this. So I'm, I'm thankful you've been willing to talk a little bit about it. So let's go to the beginning. And um, I, I suppose as a kid, you never thought you would be a children's pastor at a church. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Definitely why was not. that so unlikely <laughs> that you thought that would never be? I want to know, kind of take us back and walk us through the journey that brought you to this place. Sure. So I'm one of seven kids. Um, I was raised in Scottsdale, Arizona by a very functioning, wealthy alcoholic. Um, he was fun. Like, we had a lot of fun growing up. Our favorite memories are our vacations, um, just exploring the United States and just doing a lot of fun things. Um, my parents divorced when I was 11 or 12. And that's when some of the fun stopped. We got split up. Um, my younger four siblings, Brad, Wes, and Beth, went to live with my mom. And then I had it really good. I lived with my dad and my two older brothers with zero supervision. We had all the fun we wanted, um, which I thought was really great. Like, I didn't realize the fun I was having really wasn't good fun. <laughs> my only experience with a higher power would be when we would go to... Um, Al-Anon meetings with mom, and those were hit and miss here and there. And even those were fun because we got to drink coffee and we were really young and we'd play around on the playgrounds and we would hear the serenity prayer and it was really good. But I didn't realize how it really wasn't good until I found Jesus Mm. and started following him. I really thought the life we had was normal. And like, Marty, I would have thought you were living the same life I was because that's all I knew. Um, my only glimpse into where our life wasn't that great was when I was in the fourth grade. I had a teacher pull me aside and say, um, your clothes are dirty, your hair hasn't been washed, and you need to get to the doctor because you have a bad cough. I was so ashamed and so humiliated. I didn't tell my parents, um, but I went home and learned how to do laundry. <laughs> and so I did laundry for us kids and um, did what I could. We'd walk up to Safeway right there at Scottsdale and Shea, and we'd, I'd go and do the grocery shopping, bring it through the hole in the fence on the way back to the house. I'm not going to say my brothers made that hole, but <laughs> they probably did. <laughs> um, 
And I thought everyone experienced stuff like that. But looking back, that was my first sign that maybe things weren't great. As much fun as we're having, as much freedom as we have with the little supervision, maybe things weren't that great. So life wasn't what we thought it was. Um, my dad passed away when he was 42. He had drank so much, he burned a hole in his esophagus and bled out. And then that's where we really kind of fell apart. We, we all thought dad was the greatest. He functioned really well. He had a lot of money. We got to do whatever we wanted. And then after he was gone, all the fun was gone. But by then we had so many addictions. I mean, out of the seven kids, five of us were addicted to something. And so I moved to Oklahoma not long after dad died because my mother had moved to Alabama. My brother ended up joining the military shortly after that, which was really good for him at that time. Um, my sister lived with me briefly and then moved out. Again, we still had our, we, we weren't this put together family, you know? Um, but I still didn't realize it. I thought we were pretty good. I worked, I always worked. I was a functioning addict. Um, but then I met my husband. I met Sean at a bar. <laughs> and there was something about him. There's something about him I had never experienced before. And what I know now is that was Jesus in him. He had brought me home to meet his mom after I got pregnant. And his mom invited me here to crossings. And I remember the first time I hear the choir get up and sing, and I just, I felt something I'd never felt before, which I know now is the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit moving in me. It wasn't the hormones from being pregnant. Like, I know it was the Holy Spirit because after that, I just had this hunger I had never had before. I had never experienced. I wanted to know, like, why do these people like each other? <laughs> why would this woman who had barely met, why would she want to invite me here? Why would she want to introduce me to her friends? Here I was an addict. I was pregnant. I was not married to her son. And she still invited me here. And all I felt was love, love that I had never experienced before. And I know that was the love of Jesus. Because I don't know if I could treat someone the way she treated me in my state. I don't know if I would have done the same. And it was Jesus. It was nothing short of Jesus. And so I wish I could say like, oh, I went and had the baby and we were all so happy here. <laughs> but that's not what happened. Um, following Jesus is a process. And I learned that. Um, after I had Holly, Sean and I split up. Um, we just couldn't get sober together. That wasn't in the plan. We... We liked what we were doing too much. Um, so we separated for two years. And if you'd have asked me in that time if I thought we would ever get together again, the answer would have been no. <laughs> Always no. <laughs> we didn't even like each other. <laughs> but God was moving. Like the prayers I prayed for him to make me the wife that someone would love the way that he loves me. And the prayers I prayed for a father who loves our daughter the way that he loves her, 
man, God was working on those prayers and he was answering them. And he answered them with Sean. He brought Holly's dad back to her. He brought my husband to me. You know, we are still a work in progress. We still don't get it right. On some days, if you ask if we like each other, we'll tell you no. <laughs> you know, I, I would predict you'll find that in every marriage in the church. Everybody has those days. <laughs> Having grown up in a home where I never yeah. saw my parents hug or kiss or hold hands, it was so foreign to have that. And I remember one time, shortly after we were married, when I had all these unrealistic expectations, not knowing that, you know, it's not supposed to be bliss yeah. all the time. I had said something to Sean one day in the car. I said, how come you don't ever say like, I look nice? Or like, I put makeup on today. <laughs> or, you know, like you never compliment my hair or whatever. And he said, um, I don't know why you're trying to find acceptance in me or reassurance from me. He's like, God's the only one who's going to feel that. He goes, you look beautiful. You look nice, but I don't want you to rely on me for that. He goes, I love you. And he goes, don't think I married you for the way you look right now, because I'm not fooled. When you're 80, you're not going to look like this. <laughs> and neither is he. And, and that's right. And so at first I was kind of taken aback, but I was like, I needed to hear that. I needed at that moment to know that when I'm insecure, when I'm not feeling right, I need to go to Jesus. I need to take my insecurities to the Lord and say, hey, help me see what you see, because I'm not seeing it right now. I need his reassurance, not something in this world. And that was a big lesson I learned that day. And I carry it with me often. It wasn't my husband being a jerk, because <laughs> I thought that for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it really was him saying, hey, this is where we rest in. This is where assurance comes. Um, through those two years while we were separated, God used so many people to help me on that journey. There was one friend in particular who, um, her name's Stacy, and she was so good about always turning it back to Jesus. Like, I'd be having a hard day. Um, I dropped out of school after eighth grade. And, because I was having all that fun, yeah. you know? <laughs> And I had started back to college. I took those remedial classes. I did all the hard stuff um, during those two years that we were separated is when I first went back to school. And Stacy, the first Christian friend I made, because when you get sober, you don't have the same friends. They don't like you anymore because you're not as fun as you used to be. They didn't want to hang out at the church with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stacy would come over and just be that accountability partner, but she wasn't just there. She was there sharing Jesus with me. I would tell her how hard these stupid remedial classes are because I'm not getting any credit for them. I'm not smart enough to do these. I can't do this. I can't do that. And she always filled that gap with scripture, with the love of Jesus, something that boosted me into completing that day, like living for that day, knowing the next day I could start fresh. And I just know that God does that for everyone. So if there's someone out there right now saying, man, this is really hard, God's providing someone for them too, just like he did for Stacy. because I'm not anything special, you know? Well, yeah, Chris, I think you're, I think you're fantastic. <laughs> um, and I, I still just can't believe God 
gave you to us, to, to the staff, to the kids, you know, here at the church. And all I that. can't either. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm just, because, you know, I think the first time you told me part of your story, I about fell over. I thought that that's so not the Jenny Brown I've seen and watched and know, you know. That, that you've got to be kidding me. Are you are you making this up? Are you embellishing that? You know, because, you know, I uh, thought maybe it was more sensational. But, you know, the, the difference in your life from what you were when you were having all that fun right. is so <laughs> astoundingly different now. Uh, you're a very different person, obviously. And we, and we both know that's Jesus. But um, I... When you talk about Stacy, to me, there's something that is very important here. One, she took initiative. Yeah. Said, I'm going to be your friend whether you want me to or not, I guess. Right. In some yeah. way. But she took initiative, but you opened the door. You let her in. Yeah. And just think how much could happen. Sometimes I shut the door on her and she still came in. Yeah. <laughs> just, so, yeah. Right. But like I mean, I'd tell her, don't come over. And she'd still come over. Yeah. Like she was exactly what I needed. Yeah. And so I think it's a good lesson for so many of us. If God's put someone on our hearts, we need to go press in. Yes. Appropriately press in. Yes. And if we are in need and we're lonely or we're confused or frustrated or whatever, we need to let people in. And a lot of us aren't that good at either one of those. But I think your story would be very different had you not, had she not taken initiative and had you not let her in. And, Absolutely. It, and the world changed at that point. So what was the trajectory then? What was going on through those years? Uh, you, you've been separated for two years. Right. Get back together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what? So I was really naive. I don't know how it is for the rest of new Christians, but having living lived a life only knowing the worldview of Christians is which, oh, you guys are all perfect. Everything's easy for you. You don't ever struggle. When I hopped on (laughs) this bus, I was like, life is going to be so good. It's going to be so easy. I can't wait to, you know, experience all this that I've been seeing from the outside. I was very wrong. Being a Christian is very hard. My old life was very easy, which I did not realize that. It's a lot easier to do things when you've had no conviction. The things I did that were in my past, I didn't have conviction over. I didn't feel that they were wrong when I was doing them. It wasn't until I started following Jesus that I knew my upbringing was wrong. I just thought it was normal. All the things, the decisions that I had made. I didn't realize they were wrong. It wasn't until I started following Jesus and I had that conviction that I realized, okay, it's harder. I have to make a conscious effort not to do things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And the Holy Spirit works. I remember having a conversation a year into my sobriety with someone arguing scripture about how Jesus drank wine. Like, you can come out to this. You can do this. But my only rebuttal is, I know the Spirit's telling me I can't do this. I know this isn't good for me. You can do what, what's good for you, but I knew I couldn't. There was a, a conviction I'd never known before. I just, I did what I was raised doing before, and it was okay. Even after Dad passed, we still idolized his lifestyle. It's what we knew. 
It's what we grew up doing. It wasn't until I met our Heavenly Father that I knew the right way. And I had the Holy Spirit guiding me, saying, this is wrong. This isn't the path I have for you. These aren't the things you should be doing. And it's harder to live this lifestyle. You guys make it look easy, but it's not. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, not. And that was a shock for me. And I don't know if that's how it is for other new Christians, but I was surprised that it wasn't easy. I think, I think people that have followed Christ for a long time, and I would be in that category, can come to a place where they take it for granted. Mm. Where maybe we forgot. I, I say this in church quite a bit to our, our people. I say, I wish you all would not forget what your life was like when you walked in the door. Yeah. Because we tend to forget the mess we were in when we walked through the door. And then we become calloused a bit to uh, loving those who are still a mess right. coming through the door. And, um, and I've said many, many times to people, I said, now what you're telling me or what you're asking me to do or what you would wish I would say from the stage what if I had said that the first Sunday you walked in here? And typically they'll step back a minute. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. So I, I think the conviction piece, you, you, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It convicts yeah. us. And uh, so let's... So yeah, so I lived 31 between, years without a conviction, yeah. you know? And that's uh, this whole experience with Christ and this change that's happening in you. So where in all this lead you to be on the staff in a pastoral role at our church? Okay, so that's still a blur for me. <laughs> I don't know why you guys would hire me. <laughs> well, Just going to scratch did. that, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it, Todd. <laughs> yeah, keep it. So... Once I started going to school, I just kept that momentum. I felt like I would never value myself without an education. So I got my associates, and then I got a bachelor's in sociology, and then a master's in education. And the day I was sitting at my graduation for my master's, the department chair sitting behind me, he was like, hey, what are you going to do after graduation? I said, well, I'm going to teach probably at you know, the public school. I'll teach sociology. We'll see. I'm not real certain. He's like, oh, well, I have a concurrent course I would like you to teach. Just go and fill out your application. Job's yours. So I said, okay. I went home, filled out that application. That Sunday I came to church and someone said, hey, there's a position open. You just graduated. Why don't you apply? And I was like, all right, I'll apply. Like, okay. I said, I'd do it. So I'm going to do it. I'm a person of my word. Like, never thinking I was going to get it. I wasn't I, I never felt I'd be good enough or that I was, I just didn't think I would be accepted to do it. But I said I'd do it, that I'd fill out the application. So I did. And so my prayer became, Lord, just open the door you want me to walk through. So you guys, your interview process is brutal. So I don't know if you know that, but it was well, like three months. I've you never did. interviewed for a job at Crossing. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's I'm brutal. I'm sure there would be an exit interview. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I ever interviewed for anything. Well, you guys I did, are I did, serious. I did originally, yeah. But it wasn't, yeah, this is a little different. 
Yeah, you guys are very serious in the interview process, and it's scary. <laughs> so. so how long had you been a believer and following Jesus oh, I've been at a, that point? 11 you, years. Yeah, 11 years. So I've been at Crossing since I was pregnant with my now 13-year-olds. This yeah. is my church home. Yeah. Like. I only know you. You're my only pastor. <laughs> oh, you have no idea what you're missing? <laughs> well, and that was one of the concerns in the interview. Like, are you sure? <laughs> like, just kidding. <laughs> you're going to be around Mardi Gras and it ain't pretty. <laughs> but so, yes, I've been a believer here for 13 years now. Um, and so you filled out the application. Filled out the application for both, UCO and here. And three months later... After lots of interviews, <laughs> I got the call with the offer for the fifth, fifth and sixth grade pastor. And so it was the first call I got. UCO had not called yet. So I said, okay, well, you know, I asked the Lord to open the door, and this is the door he's opened. I'm going to be obedient to what he's opening. And so I accepted. Two weeks into this position, I'm at lunch with a volunteer, and UCO calls and says, why haven't you applied for the position? And I said, I did it that same day. Like, as soon as I got home, I applied. And he said, we've never received your application. We didn't receive your resume, your CV, the application. So I was like, okay, Lord, you, you knew exactly what you were doing. So I have been very happy here ever since. I love what I do. I love the kids. I love the parents. I love partnering with the parents. The kids are amazing. Like Sundays and Wednesdays are my favorite parts of being at Crossings. To me, it's fascinating that you are now influencing fifth and sixth graders for Jesus and showing them Jesus. And you, to me, I mean, from the first time I met you, you are a walking demonstration of Jesus's love. You really, it just flows out of you. You know, it's just... It's, it's not a, just a decision you made. It's not uh, that you're a Christian. It is you are completely filled with this spirit that God has put in you, and it puts in all of us, but you're, you, you are aware of it, and you lean on it and depend on it, as we should. So did you ever think you would help other people now raise their kids after you were raised in such a... I guess bizarre might be too unkind, but a bizarre environment. Right, no. And here you are helping people raise theirs. But I guess you know what not to do. Yes, <laughs> I love that you said that. Yes, I know what not to do. And I have learned so many lessons through those 11 years. And like I've been very clear, I didn't realize how bad it was growing up until I started following Jesus. That's just what we knew. Yeah. My biggest lesson after I realized it wasn't easy being a Christian was when I first um, hit a stumbling block, like a, a struggle as a Christian. Um, I'd been doing it my whole life without Jesus, where I, that was just our normal routine. But the first time I really saw God's faithfulness and forgiveness was... Um, Five or six years ago, one of my other brothers passed away. And he and I hadn't talked since we were kids. When my parents got a divorce, my, the three oldest stayed and lived with dad, the party house, the fun house. 
Well, Robert only stayed for a year, and he was my favorite. Like, I know we shouldn't have favorites, but I know we all have a favorite sibling. And Robert was my favorite sibling. And a year after the divorce, he left. And so it wasn't me, Ben, and Robert anymore. It was just me and Ben. I love Ben. (laughs) But Robert was my favorite, and he never said bye. I just came home one day, and his room was empty. And he was gone. He went to live with mom. And we never really talked after that. I held on to so much anger and hurt and abandonment that even when we'd get together at family gatherings, we weren't, we weren't cordial even. We didn't even give each other the time of day. We never talked through the years. We were doing our own things. And then when I got the call, he passed away. Mm. That was one of the hardest things I had to take to the Lord. Like, I messed up. Like, I should have reconciled. I should have called him. I've been a Christian this many years, and I never called him. And that was hard to—it was some really tough years trying to handle that. But the Lord showed me how he is faithful to forgive, and he is faithful to restore. And yeah, I should have made that call. But just as he has forgiven so many, he forgave me too. Like, I can't go back now and say, Robert, I love you, you know? But he has forgiven me for that. God has shown me that he is faithful to forgive and restore. And that was the hardest thing as a Christian that I had to rely on the Lord for so far. That's a, that would have been very heavy burden, a very heavy burden to carry. And, and so thank God that you knew to turn to him. And he had exactly what you needed, the healing. Jenny, I'm very thankful you did this. You're willing to do it. And I've wanted to get this story told <laughs> since you told me. And uh, I can't wait for people to hear it. Uh, anything else you want to say or would add to those who will hear this story? Yeah. I think if there's anyone listening to this story, that they would take it as hope that, one, you're not alone. If you find resistance from anyone in the church, there is another person there that's going to rise up that God has provided for you. Don't stop after one week. Don't stop after two weeks. Keep coming back because it is hard being a new Christian and becoming new transformation in Christ. Don't stop coming. Get a support system, someone who will hold you accountable to reading your scripture, to talking to God, to building that trust with him and surround yourself with those who love God and love you because they're here. Sometimes it just takes, it's a big place. It takes time to find them, but God has provided all the tools we need right here. That's powerful. Thank you. Well, this is an amazing story, and I'm so glad you were willing to share it. And um, I've not forgotten that, again, that that night when I, you started sharing a little bit of your story with me. And and I think you, you said, oh, no, you may not want me on staff anymore if you don't me. I think you said something <laughs> to that effect. And I said, I said, no, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. You're, you're exactly who God is using and who we need to... Uh, to minister to these kids. And um, I'm awfully glad. I mean, I am so thankful that God tapped you on the shoulder and put you in ministry because you are right where you belong. 